This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. In your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And if you're following along in the Pew Bibles that you might have in front of you, I looked it up. It's on page 877 and your pew Bible's there. And so what I want to do is I want to direct our attention to the Lord of the Word. If you would do me the favor of standing as we read from the Scriptures. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always, all, that ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge, who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith, or this, or that faith, on the earth? Let's pray. Mm. Oh, Lord Jesus, this, these literally are your words. These are your words to your people. Oh, Spirit of God, you, you who moved in, in, in the Apostle Luke to bring these words to our attention. Lord, I pray this morning that they would have their designed effect, that we would continually pray and not lose heart. Guide us to see your character. Guide us to see your goodness. Draw us closer to you that we might depend upon you. And Lord, honestly, if there's anything that I might do even to be cute or to be memorable or anything like that, Lord, I pray that that would evaporate and your word would stand forever. Lord Jesus, these are your words to your people. May your people hear them <laughs> and may they grow. May they trust you. May they be excited about what you are doing. So I plead these things. I trust you trust you to do these things. Well, I pray this for your glory, Lord Jesus, and your people. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I have this very bad habit. It has to do with this little device, which I'm actually going to put in airplane mode right now so that I don't get a bunch of texts and phone calls. It's called doom scrolling. You ever heard about this before? Maybe you can do this on the website. Maybe you just doom channel surf. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we're looking at the news, right? And all the news seems to feed us is bad news. Bad news, right? Oh, man, that election went bad. Oh, man, 
I can't believe that politician said this. Most of it's about politics. You notice that? It's like our, it's like our favorite pastime. It was baseball. That was better. Um, but, but that's what, and, and, and what's interesting and what I found out later is that, you know, these, these feeds that we have, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, right, there is an algorithm. There's a math program in the background. And what they're doing is they're saying, oh, these get the most looks. And the, and the ones that get the most looks, the posts, the little, little, little quotes that people put up are the ones that get people angry, that get them upset. And so what, what happens? Well, like any good faithful program, what it does is it feeds that stuff because they got ads to pay. They got, they got computer servers to pay for, right? And so they feed us this stuff. And, and so my kids now, they, they now know exactly what app or what website I'm looking at by the kind of sigh or grunt that they hear from me. I'm on Twitter and I'll, 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 all of a sudden sigh and I hear Calvin or Brad saying, Dad, get off Twitter. It's just, and, and the problem is sometimes we look at the news around us and we're tempted to give up hope, right? We think things are going great, but then we give up hope. Sometimes we've put hope in the wrong place, right? Maybe we've put our hope in that hefty 401k. Oh, wait a minute. That's probably not been doing so well as of late, right? Maybe we've put that hope in that house, that stability, good old American dream. How's that been going for you? Maybe we put that hope in that next stage of life. Now, kids, right? You're like, I can't wait until I'm either in high school and then I'm really living, right? Or I can't wait until I'm out of the house and mom and dad don't get to tell me what to do anymore. That's, we can put our hope in so much. And yet we find at the end of the day, it just, it doesn't satisfy. It's, it, and, and, and it may satisfy for a while. We may think, yes, I have a stable savings. But then maybe when, when I lose my job, that savings starts to whittle away going to happen. One of the things I learned in pastoral ministry was I've learned in the last years that I can't put my hope in how crafty and how manipulative I can be. I have to hope in God. I have to trust Him. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I, I think that many of us can even identify with the psalmist in Psalm 10, right? He, he, he says, Lord, why are you so far off? Where are you? Maybe we can look at the news today and we go, oh no, the red wave's not going to happen like we hope so in the midterms. Lord, where are you? Why are you so far off? Maybe we might be tempted to think that the world is spinning out of control. Why doesn't God do something? Well, I think Jesus, as he's going and as he's talking to his disciples, he says this, he, 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 he gives them a parable and Luke is so kind to us. As, as someone who has to teach the word, it's nice to have someone tell you the point of the passage so that you don't have to try and work it out and figure out, okay, who is the judge and, and who is the widow and what's the deeper meaning. Luke just gives it to us straight, right off the bat. And he says, don't lose hope. Keep praying. Keep following this God. And, and in, in many ways, Luke is saying that followers of Jesus can remain faithful or they can remain persistent in prayer because they know the God, they know their God, and their God knows them. We need both. We know our God and our God knows us. 
So Jesus begins by telling the story. He tells the story, and he starts with the judge. We see this, this, this judge who is not an actual judge. It's not like he's picking some judge out of like, you know, Judea somewhere and saying, hey, it's this guy. He's giving us a story, and he's painting a picture of a supreme earthly power that is independent of anything because he neither feared God, so he didn't care about what God had to say, and he didn't fear man either, didn't respect man, so it wasn't like he was trying to stump for the next vote or anything like that. I don't know how he became the judge, whether he had the most money, whether he had the most friends behind him, or whether or not he had the most swords, but he was the judge, and he could do whatever he wanted. Didn't care about, didn't care about God, didn't care about man. It's good to be the king. And we see also the character of this judge. This judge refuses to find justice for this widow. Refuses to grant justice. And to the original hearers, and they might have been thinking Deuteronomy chapter 16, where, where God calls Israel to appoint judges who will seek justice. That's their job. You are a judge. You will seek justice. Or maybe they were thinking of Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. God calling Israel to seek justice, to correct opposition, to bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. And yet this judge didn't care. He's a, he was completely oblivious to her plight. Not oblivious, but he didn't care in any way. Then that brings us to the second character in this story. The widow. And again, not necessarily an actual widow, but this is a picture of someone who is destitute and desperate. The widow is destitute and desperate. She, as a widow, has no power of representation before this judge. In the scriptures, widows and orphans were, were in dire need. In fact, the church was called to show mercy to them. In James chapter 1, verse 27, that's true religion. To show, to show mercy to widows and to orphans. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, put those who are widows on the list to be cared for if they're truly widows. This is a picture of someone who is destitute, doesn't have anything. Widows didn't have, their financial situation was not optimal if they had lost their husband. We can see even pictures of that with Ruth and Naomi in, in the book of Ruth. This was someone who was destitute in dire straits. Some scholars would even say that she didn't even have a son to plead her case before the judge. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 would say that even some, if someone does not even take care of their relative, then they, they denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. This lady didn't have a son to go before the judge. She had to do it herself. You know, as a, as a son of my mother who was in her last years trying to figure out her estate and all that kind of stuff, I can tell you it is hard for someone to work through all of that. And, she's, and, 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 and my mom wasn't even the victim of anything. This lady's asking for justice, and this judge is not having any of it. And then we, we bring possibly a third character into here is the oppressor. She's asking for justice from her accuser or from her adversary. 
I don't know if it's maybe the, content, the, the Middle Eastern equivalent of these you know, telemarketers that call from Pakistan, and they call and tell me that my Social Security is messed up and that I need to give them you know, $7,000 in Target gift cards, right? I love those guys. You know why I love those guys? Because I love calling them, and I love it when they call, and I, and I know it's like a telemarketer. You can usually tell from the error code, and I answer in Spanish. I love knowing two languages. It's amazing. And so I'm sitting there talking to them in Spanish, and, and, and some of them kind of get wise and go, no, I'm talking to you in English. You, know, you have problems. And I was like, no, I don't, and I hang up. But I try to waste as much of their time because these guys are evil. I like these guys in 2 Timothy. They work their way into, into homes, these dear ladies who, who, who can get confused rather easily. And, and, and I remember working through this with my mom and just saying, Mom, be careful. Let's do it this way. She didn't have a son to do that, this widow. And so all that she has is to go to the judge and to say, give me justice. Grant me justice against my adversary. And the only thing that brings a favorable answer to her request is that she's annoying. She's annoying to the judge, right? He says, listen to this. He goes, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The word there, beat me down, that's actually a boxing term for someone who's getting hit in the face too much, starting to turn the color this woman, not, not that she was actually beaten on the judge, but, but, but what was happening, she's going, and he's just going, man, this lady's on my last nerve. It wasn't that he was concerned politically, because we know this man neither feared God or the men. She was just that constant drip in the back of the room, and finally he went, okay, enough of the Chinese water torture, we're getting this done. And so if this parable is about persisting in prayer, if, if this parable were to end here, then we might think something a little different about God, wouldn't we? Maybe we have to be that widow. Okay, great. Okay, I'll pray 10 times a day, put the oven on 350, slide it in there, boom. Maybe a couple hours later, I have an answered prayer request. That's how it works, right? No. In fact, what is interesting here is Jesus doesn't focus on the widow, Right? Other times he did, right? Other times he talked, the, talked about the widow putting her might in there. Other times he talked about, no, here what he does is he takes the spotlight and he puts it on the judge. Did you catch that? He says, hear what the judge has to say. Listen to this dude. And then he begins to create an argument from the lesser to the greater. And he says, he says, this God, listen to what he says, but, but will not God... Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? This is an unrighteous judge. This is a judge who doesn't care. And he's saying to his disciples, he's saying, God is not the evil judge. You don't need to bargain with him. This isn't, this isn't a Marvel movie where you have to bargain or anything like that with some capricious deity or anything like that. God is not like that. He is wholly different. And I think, family, one of the reasons we fail sometimes to persevere in prayer is because we forget that. 
We forget the character of the God who, who we serve, the God who has us and the God who we have. And I believe Jesus knows his disciples are gonna persevere. In fact, if we look at Luke chapter 17, he says, you're going to look for my coming. You're gonna have to wait. I am coming, but you're gonna look for me and I'm not there. Jesus knows that we're going to struggle to persevere. Maybe, maybe he even has in his mind what Asaph was going on, what was going on with Asaph in, in, in Psalm 73, right? Surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, my foot almost slipped. I almost stumbled. Why? Why would he stumble? Because I looked at the arrogant and I saw, and I was envious of them. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can you feel that today? I see that and I almost slipped. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Apparently, they're eating a lot of tri-tip, and they're eating off a lot of brisket, or whatever was, was, was kosher, right? Yeah, tri-tip and brisket are kosher. It's good. But, um, well, we live in a new covenant, so so is pork. Um, but under all of that, right, they, he saw that, and he was like, oh, man. And I think here what Jesus is doing is he's trying to lift our gaze. Don't look at the widow. Let's talk about the character of the God that we serve. Sometimes I think we fail to understand just who we have. Do you, do you know the God whom you have? Do you know the God who has you? There's an illustration um, often given on something like this uh, from a gentleman by the name of William Randolph Hearst. Have you ever heard of Hearst Castle before, right? It's, a, it's down by, I think it's Santa, I mean, there was somewhere in between Santa Barbara and and San Luis Obispo, and it is this huge, it's castle, huge building. William Randolph Hearst was this, was this media tycoon. you will probably say he's like the Mark Zuckerberg of his day, right? He owned all kinds of communication apparatus, whether it was newspapers, radio stations, all that kind of stuff. And he also was an avid art lover. He loved art. Oh, man. He bought paintings all over the place, and he read the story about one particular painting, and he just had to have it. And so he sent one of his agents out to go get it. And he says, I, I don't care what the price is. Just write the check. I want it on that wall right over there. And the agent came back after a thorough amount of research and said, I'm sorry, but you can't buy this painting. It's off the market. And, and Hearst was like, what are you talking about? I own the media. I can start wars in other countries. I have more money than God himself. Why, he was a little bit arrogant too, why can I not buy this painting? I don't care what the price is. And the agent turned to him and said, you can't buy it because you already own it. It's in storehouse B. Would you like me to go get it for you? It's yours. And family, what I, why I bring that up is oftentimes when we go to prayer, and I've learned this over the last year, we go to prayer, sometimes we think we have to overcome you know, God's capriciousness or something. We almost come to him like a pagan would and say, I'm gonna do this deal with you, God. I'm gonna pray a bazillion times a day and you're gonna answer my prayer. And sometimes it might be really good prayers, but we think we have to kind of overcome God, maybe stiff arm him. Maybe we think we gotta be like, like, like Jacob in the desert when he meets the angel of the Lord. He's gotta wrestle until we get the blessing, right? And that's not the case. For the believer, for those who trust in Christ, we already have a God that loves us and is 
all-powerful able to, and able to meet the justice that we need. And so Christ gives this encouragement to persevere. And what I take from this is, first of all, do you know what kind of God you have? He's not a regional judge. He's not some local power. He has the power and the ability to affect change. He speaks and planets appear. I mean, seriously, people, he can do things. And he also will make it right. He will get justice. You can think of Psalm 2, for example. The psalmist, right, he says, why do the nations rage? He's looking around here, and he's like, oh my gosh, the kings are gathering. They're wanting to kick off God. And yet he lifts his eyes up to heaven. It's almost like God's saying, God's in heaven, and he laughs. Seriously? You think that you can, okay, okay, you can try, but it's, and he says, as for me, God says, as for me, I have set my king on my holy hill. I've got my plan. And the funny part is you actually figure into it. I've got my plan and it's going to be done. Maybe you can think of Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 25, where God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. God will bring justice. Do you know what kind of God you have? Do you know that you have, and this is a little bit tender here, you have a God who is for His own glory. In Isaiah 48, verse 11, he says, For my own sake I will act. Is that our temperament before the Lord? When we're praying for that dear family member that we desperately want, is it, God, will you do this just so I feel okay? Or is it, Lord, no, I want you. I, you deserve the praise from his mouth. You deserve it. Make for yourself a worshiper. Glorify yourself. Or is it, get me what I want? Now, God loves us and he does care about our needs. I don't want don't to step too hard on that, but he also about, is about his own glory. Do you know what kind of God you have? And Honestly, sometimes we have to stop being the center of our own universe when it comes to our concept of God. Do we have a God that is in our own image, after our own likeness, that does things our way? Or do you have a God that is for his own glory, that is about his glory? And is your life pointed towards his glory? We also have a God who will not delay his plan. We can see that from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. He says, God's not delaying. To, he, he, his, his, his time structure is different. He sits outside of time, and a thousand years is like a day, right? But he also says he's not long because he is patient. Maybe he hasn't come back yet because he is patient towards you. Yes, you. That you would come to faith. That you would trust in him. He is patient, desiring that all men, all kinds of men, without distinction from every language, tribe, and tongue, would come to faith. And so he's patient and he delays. That's amazing. That God delayed before January 10th, 1986, when Ben Nissen went forward and said, I want to trust this God. He delayed for me. He's delayed for you. He's patient. It may seem like he's not answering, but honestly, sometimes God's timetable and God's plan, it is not 
always, we have to have this view of God that, that his plan is bigger than our hopes and our desires. It's about him. But secondly, do you know the kind of God that has you? Do you know the kind of God that has you? I'm a son of this church. You know that I'm 100% a solo deo gloria man. I read Ephesians 1 and I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. God is all about his glory. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory and grace, we are saved. But let's not forget Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. In love he predestined you to be adopted as sons to the praise of his glory. In love. It was actually to his glory that he would set his affections upon us. That he would love us. (laughs) That his church, those who are in Christ, the scripture says that we're chosen before the foundation of the world in love. This God has you if you are in Christ today. He owns you and he loves you. He is your father By that same spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father. We'll get to that in maybe a second, if I have time. If you are his, he loves you. Not only is he perfectly just, but he loves you. And this is where the comparison also needs to stick out. The spotlight going from this capricious judge to this good, well, actually, sorry, from this capricious judge to this good God is that he loves you. Not only is God 100% just and 100% able to bring about perfect justice, he has also made a way to show grace and mercy to those who deserve exactly the opposite. Where was Jesus going to when he delivered this parable? He was going to the cross. God was doing everything possible so that we might no longer be children of wrath, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, but then we would be his dearly beloved children. His workmanship. We love him because he first loved us. And I want to take just a minute. I think I have time. I want to take just a minute to unpack that because I want you to have hope in this God who was 100% capable of speaking stars into existence and answering crazy prayers but also this God who dearly loves you. And when you go to him, this is, this is what you are. This is who you are in Christ. And if you want to, you can go there to Romans chapter eight, but I'm just gonna, we're gonna take a, a 10,000 foot flyover just so you can get a flavor of this. Romans chapter eight, verse one says what? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not going before a judge. You're going before a father. You're going before someone who loves you. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not now give us all things? Wow. Does that not give you hope? In verse 11, there is a future resurrection based upon the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead. That's ours. Does that give you hope in this God? In verses 12 through 17, we're children, heirs, sons of God. And by that very same spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father. We're going to our Father, not a judge. And in verse 26, and I want to stop here just for a little bit to camp. 
In verse 26, that same spirit helps us to pray. I remember I was actually, one of the first times I really experienced, I was actually right here, actually right here, and I was interviewing one of our missionaries from the past, Danny Pasquale, and him and Marty, they were talking about this ministry they have, this ministry they have to women who are being trafficked. And they even talked about a ministry that they have to, to the, those who would make use of their trafficking, whether they were pimps or whether they were johns. And, and I remember, man, I heard that, and I wanted to pray the rest of Psalm chapter 10. Lord, would you break their arms? Seriously. Pain. I want suffering. These women are being abused, so taken advantage of. I want justice for them. And I, I, was ready, I was ready to rock, man. It was going to be one of them prayers that was going to bring the house down. And instead, it was like the Holy Spirit went, nope. That's not what you're going to pray. And instead, I found myself praying, God, would you, would you reveal their sin to them? And then would they be trophies of your grace? Would you astound us with your grace and your mercy? And, and, in, and I'll tell you, over the last year, there's times where I'm going to pray, so I want to pray Psalm 10 again. You know, we're, we, when, I'm, when, when, we're, when we as pastors are talking with a, maybe a husband who's not treating his family right, and oh man, the ministry that I want to have is the ministry of a baseball bat. That is not what the Holy Spirit wants. Huh. Instead, he goes, nope, you're not going to pray that way. It's not going to happen for you. I said, I find myself praying, God, be merciful. Be merciful to this man. Spare his family. Change it in such a way that, that they would be, that, that, that their neighbors and everybody would be just freaked out about how amazing Jesus is because there's only one reason that this could have happened, that this man could have changed. I'm pleading with God for that. Sometimes when someone comes up to me and they have a very difficult circumstance that they're going through, something that's outside of my scope of experience, and they ask me to pray. There's times where I'm just like, internally I'm like, man, I got nothing. <laughs> I don't know how to pray. I really don't. And I, 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 sometimes even I'll start the prayer saying, Lord, I, I, I don't know. But I'm depending upon you. And then all of a sudden, Scripture just starts flowing through my head. The Spirit of God that dwells brings all this stuff, and, and, and all of a sudden, I'm just praying the Scriptures. By the way, if you ever haven't done it, I would encourage a book uh, to you. I would, I, I would encourage you to read Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. It's a mercifully short book on prayer, which is nice because most of them are pretty big and deep. But this one is really easy because really it's just saying, let the Scriptures mold your prayers. Let the Spirit of God who wrote the Scriptures mold your prayers as you pray. This very same Spirit that we have in Romans 8 helps us to pray. Does that not give you hope? The character of this God is one who both has the power to deliver justice and deliver on his promises. We sang that. Oh my gosh, I'm telling you, I have to sing that song again and not like leap up and down and sing really loud. I got to save my voice. I got to do this message two more times today. But, but man, how does that not give you hope? This God who can affect, and honestly, he also loves you. We need this big view of God. 1 Peter chapter 5 says we can go through suffering, and even in suffering, we can humble ourselves before God, and we can cast our cares upon him. Because why? Because he cares for you. 
So the question that Jesus asks at the end of this passage, he says, do you, do, do you have this kind of faith? Will the Son of Man find faith on earth? And I, and I like how the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, actually translates that. They say, will the Son of Man find that kind of faith? And I, and I do believe it's not that kind of faith pointing back to the widow that's annoying this judge over and over and over again. Don't get me wrong, I pray all the time when I'm embracing my family members, and I'm just praying, I pray the Holy Spirit, I say, Spirit of God, you dwell within me. Would you please just jump three inches as I embrace this person? Would you please regenerate this person? I do that all the time, but, it's, but, what, but what we're seeing here is that kind of a faith, the faith in that God, that God who is all-powerful and all-loving. Do we have that kind of faith? And I have to be clear here, outside of Christ, we don't have this kind of hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says, would say that prior to Christ, we were without hope and without this God in the world. We were alienated from Him. And if you're not in Christ, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on that cross for your sins, and you're not resting in his perfect righteousness that even allows you to come before this God, if that's not you, this hope isn't yours, but you can have it. Absolutely. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. My call to you, my encouragement to you today is that you would hear the voice of your shepherd. Listen to him. These are his words. Do you know the character of your God? Do you know the God that you have, and do you know the God who has you? Do you have this kind of faith? You know, it's interesting, Martin Luther, when he was speaking on prayer, I told him, I'm stealing this from Tony, because he sends this out every, every uh, when we, whenever we did the, the weeks in prayer for the church, he, he would say this, Martin Luther would say this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's not some God that we have to annoy. Laying hold of his willingness. So where do we go from here? Maybe we need to be like the psalmist, like Asaph, and we need to lift our eyes, right? He saw the prosperity of the wicked in Psalm 73. And your foot almost slipped, but what happened? Then I went to your sanctuary. And I discerned their end. I saw your plan. Your plans are bigger than mine, God. They're amazing. I need to stop being the center of my own universe. My personal conveniences may or may not be the most important thing in the world. God does care about that. But they may not necessarily be in his plan right now. My encouragement to you would be to draw near to that God in faith. The God who is all-powerful and just. The one that can effect justice and also who is your God. As part of those elect chosen ones. He loves you. He has you. You can go to Him in faith. There's a story about a, a Protestant um, pastor by the name of George Mueller. And you probably have heard this story where he was a man who was very persistent in prayer. And he says this in, in his the diary. He actually started praying for five people. I believe it was uh, 1844 when he wrote this journal entry. I don't have the, 
the exact quote here, but it just comes to mind. The, the first 18 months he started praying for these people, one person came to faith. Prayed daily. Then there were about two years, another one came to faith. And then about, about 15 years in, another one came to faith. And finally, about a couple years before his death, that fourth one came to faith, and then only after he had passed away, possibly even after hearing the gospel presented at this man's funeral, the fifth one came to faith. God, would you grant justice? Would you grant mercy to these people? Family, my encouragement to you is to persevere because you know the character of the God who has you. You also know the character of the God that you have. He is merciful. He is kind. His plan is for His glory. And if that's what you're about, oh gosh, God answers in so many crazy ways. I have been so impressed over this last year where I'm just sitting there walking with a friend and we're praying. And I'm just praying. I'm not, I'm not even like in some kind of zone or anything like that. I'm saying, God, would you please provide a women's Bible study leader? All of a sudden, I get a phone call. Actually, I, I approached this person. They go, I knew you were going to come and talk to me. And I told God I wasn't going to do it, but he said, no, you are going to do it. Who does that? I can't manipulate that. Parents, we can't manipulate faith in our kids. We've got to pray for them. Knowing that God is the one who is just and kind and merciful. This is the God we draw near to. This is the God we sing to. This is the God that we pray to. I hope you have that. Let me pray. Father, I am so grateful, so grateful to you for all that you have done in the lives of these dear saints here at GBC and, and all the things that you have, Lord, have worked through us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do your work through, through my, my dear brothers and sisters here, magnify the gospel. But Lord, I pray that we would become all the more encouraged and hopeful in prayer because Lord, our hope is squarely upon you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all these things, and we pray these things in, the blood, in your blessed name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.